0: Why did the two hemispheres of the human brain evolve such different ways of perceiving the world? Hi there. Welcome to this episode of the Mind Over Muddle series. I'm Michael C. Patterson, the host of the MindRamp podcast. The hemisphere hypothesis states that the two hemispheres of the human brain provide us humans with two radically different perspectives on the world. All mammal brains have two hemispheres, but the differentiation between the hemispheres in the human brain is far more exaggerated. Why did this exaggeration of hemispheric function take place? Ian McGilchrist, the architect of the hemisphere hypothesis, suggests that the human brain has evolved along three spatial axes within the human brain. One, the front-to-back axis, two, the top-to-bottom axis, and three, the side-to-side axis. These three spatial axes underwent significant evolutionary changes, first with the appearance of mammals, and then further with the ongoing evolution of us, of Homo sapiens. The evolutionary development along these three spatial axes shaped the human brain in three important ways. First, in the top-to-bottom axis, mammalian evolution increased the size of the neocortex, making the mammalian brain much more complex and more powerful than the brains of reptiles with whom they had to compete. Second, the side-to-side evolution increased the functional differences between the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere, and also made both hemispheres more powerful. And then third... The evolution of the front-to-back axis resulted in the huge expansion of the frontal cortex and, with it, the ability of the human brain to exert executive control over the activity of both hemispheres. Let's take a look at each of these evolutionary developments. The top-to-bottom axis. With the rise and evolution of mammals the top part of the top-to-bottom axis, the neocortex, experienced enormous growth. Why did this adaptation occur? Well, McGilchrist posits that the most plausible hypothesis is that for mammals to survive and compete with huge reptiles, they had to have much greater sensory acuity. They had to be able to move around in their environment more effectively and exploit it more efficiently than their competitors, the cumbersome dinosaurs. Better sensory processing was the adaptation that evolved to support this need, and this sensory processing required much more brain power. Mammals first developed much improved olfactory capabilities. They could smell a lot more effectively than their reptilian competitors. Mammals also developed greater tactile sensitivity and eventually better hearing and excellent vision. All of this enhanced sensory input needed to be pulled together into a unified vision of the world so that mammals could make quick and accurate decisions about how to survive in a hostile world. McGilchrist says, quote, In mammals there is a map at the neocortical level, the most highly developed level. The development of this high-level map across the whole perceptual field in mammals is a crucially important step in the capacity for complex awareness of the world and the ability to make quick, subtle, and accurate responses to it, the whole purpose of the elaboration of the vertical axis. In other words, the the growth of the neocortex greatly expanded the scope of awareness and the breadth of experience that was available to the mammalian brain, which is, of course, the foundation of the human brain. It made our world much bigger and richer, and the processing of all this richness required greater brain power. Now let's look at the side-to-side axis. The neocortex covers both hemispheres. So the expansion of the neocortex resulted in a dramatic expansion in the capacity and complexity of both the left and the right hemispheres. And importantly, this expanded capacity exaggerated the different roles of the two hemispheres. It's helpful to consider why brain architecture evolved two hemispheres in the first place. Bihemispheric brains, brains with two hemispheres, have existed for as long as there have been organisms with brains. The brain is split because it has to adopt two very different kinds of perspectives at the same time, On the one hand, the brain uh, has to focus narrowly on small details, on things like grabbing a piece of food or avoiding a dangerous object. And at the same time, the brain must have a broad perspective. It needs to scan the broad environment uh, to be alert for danger and opportunity. The brain has to take a narrow focus and a broad focus at the same time. So to achieve these disparate perspectives and avoid confusion, a division of labor evolved. One part of the brain came to concentrate on the narrow focus, while another part evolved to specialize on the broad focus. The left hemisphere takes the narrow focus, the right hemisphere takes the broad focus. But of course, the two perspectives serve one organism, so they need to be coordinated under the guidance of the right hemisphere, which has the the broader, more inclusive view of what's going on. So you can see why left hemisphere dominance and right hemisphere suppression can be a problem. With this imbalance, our mind becomes focused on myriad details without the capacity to put them together into a unified picture of the full experience. The two hemispheres communicate with each other across two bundles of nerves called commissures that are like two small bridges that span a river that divides two distinct countries. As these countries grew, the two small bridges were unable to handle the flow of communication traffic across the divide. So to solve this problem, the mammalian brain evolved a third, much larger bridge of connecting brain cells. Corpus callosum. As McGilchrist points out, the corpus callosum, then, just like the neocortex, is a mammalian invention. It's interesting to note that the corpus callosum has more inhibitory brain cells than it has excitatory ones. This implies that the role of the corpus callosum is not simply to be a passive conduit for information. On the contrary, It actively monitors and regulates the exchange of information between the two hemispheres. It also appears that the challenges of communicating ever-increasing amounts of information across long distances from one hemisphere to the other led to the evolution of unique architectural features of the two hemispheres. The left hemisphere has come to specialize in the performance of learned routines. We learn how to ride a bike or how to use language to communicate through speech or through writing. Uh, To support these routines in an efficient manner, the left hemisphere in particular is structured around functional modules that specialize in performing very specific tasks. And the Series of functional modules needed to perform the routines are strung together sort of like beads on a necklace, or or like a line of dominoes. All you need to do to set the whole routine into action is to tip the first domino, and then everything follows automatically from that. This is great for efficiently running uh, useful routines even though it is a bit rigid and inflexible. Now, the right hemisphere, on the other hand, seems more loosey-goosey in terms of its architecture. The, The neuronal structures are less linear, Left hemisphere processing might be likened to a telephone message traveling along linked telephone wires, whereas the right hemisphere processing is more like radio transmissions. The signals radiate out in waves in all directions. As such, they exchange information more broadly and more promiscuously. So again, we have a useful division of labor. The right hemisphere is more creative and capable of coming up with innovative solutions. The left hemisphere is much better at establishing routines that can be performed almost automatically. The brain works fine when the division of labor is balanced and is coordinated by the right hemisphere. It becomes muddled when the left hemisphere dominates and our thinking becomes overly rigid and routinized. So how does this evolving human brain handle and make sense of all of this expanded volume of information and this ever-increasing complexity? The evolutionary solution was the explosive expansion of the frontal lobes, the expansion of what neuroscientist El Conan Goldberg called the executive brain. This is expansion along the front-to-back axis. In human beings, the frontal lobes have expanded to make up about 37% of the entire geography of the brain. By comparison, the frontal lobes of a dog take up 18% of its brain. Great apes, our closest mammalian relatives, come, come close, with the frontal lobes comprising about 35% of their brains. What do the frontal lobes do? Why are they dubbed the executive brain? The wiring structure of the frontal lobes gives us a clue of their function and how they help to coordinate information. For starters, the frontal lobes are highly connected to every other part of the brain, more so than any other area of the brain. So the frontal lobes have the ability to communicate with and know what is going on throughout the entire brain. Second, the frontal lobes are more highly connected to themselves than are any other part of the brain. In other words, the frontal lobes do an awful lot of talking to themselves. They can gather information from all over the brain and then, in essence, have robust discussions about that information. McGilchrist also makes a surprising assertion that the purpose of the frontal lobes is, quote, largely for stopping things happening, end quote. Why would it be evolutionarily useful for human beings to have an expanded capacity to stop things from happening? Begilchrist says that this negation is highly creative. It puts necessary distance in time and in space between ourselves and the immediacy of experience so as to take the broader view, contextualize, test hypotheses, and plan for the future. End quote. So the frontal lobes provide a useful pause and stand back platform that offers a certain objectivity from whatever is going on in the the backal lobes, the back parts of the brain. The purpose of this distancing differs for each hemisphere. McGilchrist supplies two helpful metaphors to explain these differences. The right hemisphere is dedicated to the perspective of human beings as social animals, So the expanded frontal lobes in the right hemisphere offer us the opportunity to step back and gain some perspective on social interactions. This perspective can help us understand the behavior of other people and help us understand how we should behave in order to achieve our goals. The left hemisphere is dedicated to the perspective that human beings are tool-making animals, The expanded frontal lobes in the left hemisphere help human beings step back, consider how best to manipulate their environment, how to make plans, how to execute them. This pause-and-stand-back stance of the frontal lobes also calls to mind Daniel Kahneman's thinking fast and slow The frontal lobes give the human brain the capacity to slow down the rapid-fire automatic processing of the unconscious mind and take time for a more leisurely reflection. It is probably the frontal lobes that provide us with the capacity of metacognition, the human ability to think about thinking, to be self-reflective. On the positive side, slow thinking enables us to override maladaptive impulses. We can respond rather than just react. And rather than, you know, for example, blurt out the first thing that comes to mind, slow thinking enables us to consider who are we talking to, how might they react, whether we might be better served just by staying silent. On the negative side, the constant thinking about our own thinking can drive us crazy and have taken to the extreme, can disconnect us from our spontaneous and intuitive selves. So to summarize, the unique evolution of the human brain has resulted in significant expansion of mental capacity and cognitive complexity. This expansion of capacity and complexity has also increased the specialization and differentiation of the roles of the two hemispheres. As a result, Modern human beings possess a mind that offers two radically different ways of interpreting reality. There is good reason to believe that the human brain continues to evolve. In fact, the rapidity and scope of cultural change probably exerts a great deal of force on our brain to adapt and adjust on almost a a continual basis. adapt or become obsolete. So how will our brains evolve tomorrow and into the future? Evidence suggests that modern evolution over the past couple thousand years has elevated the left hemisphere perspective over that of the right hemisphere, with unsettling consequences. Can we do anything to halt or reverse this trend? Can we do anything to bring right hemisphere perspectives to center stage and put the holistic, more humane perspective back in control? Well, the Mind Over Muddle podcast will continue to explore options for achieving those ends for ourselves. And who knows, if enough of us pull in the right direction, we might even help shape the evolution of tomorrow's human mind and push it in a healthier direction. Thanks for listening. Live long and live well.